0: Welcome to the Peace at Home podcast. I'm your co host, Sinan. And I'm Jamie. And sadly, Ben has decided that they're going to go have a good time on the mainland of Great Britain. So we're without them. But seems, instead,
1: seems implausible.
0: Yeah, I, I didn't really believe them when they told me that was what they were up to, but apparently it's possible. But we have a replacement Scottish person, a replacement Scott service, if you will. So say hello to our guest. David from PraxisCast.
2: Hello, I'm here to have a bad time instead of Ben.
0: Yeah, Ben was really looking forward to this specific topic as well. So, it's their own fault for choosing England over the podcast, really. Yeah,
2: Yeah, you get what you fucking deserve.
0: Yeah, this is what happens, Ben. If you're listening, I presume none of us listen to our own episodes, to be honest. But, Ben, if you are listening to this, this is what happens. You don't get to hear about the squad brackets, Turkish. No, you don't get to learn about that. Everyone else gets to learn about it. You've only wasted your own time and cheated yourself by going to England. So, I hate, I, hate, I feel like every episode, we were still not out of the fucking 20s so much shit happened in the 20s About Who knew that the roaring a decade known as the roaring 20s would have so much shit going on in it outside of America? Good fucking god. But we have to rewind back a little bit. Even back to the Ottoman Empire again, which is really... I, I, was, I was trying to find, what is the oldest socialist party that ever existed within the territory of Turkey? And it's not, it's not a very creatively named political party, I'll be honest with you. It's called, get this, the Ottoman Socialist Party. There you go.
3: Fair enough. Yeah, fair fair fair enough. enough.
0: It's pretty simple. Very wrong seal. Yeah. (laughs) It was founded in 1910. So, And it also had a very, very cool emblem in 1919 that uh, I guess I will put in the Discord, both in the Patreon Discord and in the episode notes. That's its... uh, that's its uh, seal, its emblem. You'll notice that all of the party emblems in this time period seem to look like a circle with Arabic writing in it. And then the communist ones have French in the middle. <laughs> French is the revolutionary language. Yeah. You know, that's just, you know, I can vaguely make out the French. Don't even ask me to try the Arab, the uh, Ottoman Turkish.
1: And all, all, the best, all the best logos have BAP off to one side. <laughs>
0: Oh my god, I I, <laughs> I am try I keep trying to edit that and I keep just pissing myself while I'm listening to it because it's just so fucking implausibly hilarious that this shit post party existed. But if you want to listen to that, uh go to our Patreon. It will be out by the time this is. So uh go go listen to Learn what's really bapping.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and also I guess we might have BAP stickers out in some form. <laughs> I don't know where we're gonna put those. But we have a high high resolution version of the BAP logo now. Yeah, because the, cause, because cause I
1: have nothing better to do. <laughs>
0: yeah, because the party no longer exists, and so therefore cannot sue us for intellectual property violation. So uh, thank you to the Turkish Constitutional Court for officially shutting down that party. Thank you. Yeah, we appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, but yeah, the Ottoman Socialist Party—it's—it's it's not like massively interesting as a political party. It is just like a fairly small. Political party that was sort of heavily based in what Europeans called Romelia, which is just you should just take that as like European Turkey plus all of the European Ottoman Empire shit. So in this time, it's like Macedonia, Albania, a bit of northern Greece, that kind of thing. But that's where all of the capitalism, the, the actual capitalism and industrialising was happening. Yeah, so that's I mean, where I, all of the I'd, trade unions were.
1: I don't want to sound uneducated, but I've never heard the word Romelia before in my life.
0: Oh, that's just what they called it at the time. Now you call it the Balkans. Alright. Yeah. Which is also a Turkish word. Was Romelia
1: was like... somehow racist? Because <laughs> that, that would be very on brand for like what the Europeans was... called something.
0: No, because it kind of comes from the Turkish for it, which is Romelia, which is like the land of the Romans, if you like.
1: Oh, well, well, well done Europe for like, yeah, Euro- yeah. winding their neck in once. <laughs> yeah, and Balkans
0: also. I will point out, not racist in and of itself. It just—it's just an old Turkish word for mountains. So we didn't—they didn't do a racism with that one so much. But the Balkans more than capable of doing quite a bit of racism, as it turns out.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't like to see the Rumelian YouTube comments.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Rumelian map YouTube. <laughs> It's just maps of Eastern Romelia, but it's just the whole of Bulgaria. <laughs> uh, East, is it, for those wondering, Eastern Romelia, real thing. Real fake country that was made up just to kind of make the Ottomans feel big and important and like it owned half of Bulgaria still. <laughs> <laughs> it amazes me how much of like diplomacy at that time was just like, yes, Ottoman Emperor, yes, you're very important, yes, you're a big boy. Don't yeah. worry.
1: <laughs> Startling similarities between diplomacy and raising a toddler. Yeah, well,
0: <laughs> considering the toddler just like embarrassed every single military that tried to, to you know, the toddler's children, I guess, which yeah. is very unfortunate imagery. But
1: say what you like about the Balkans, but they never poured like curry down the back of a radiator.
0: <laughs> I honestly thought they never had a curry and broke lockdown regulations. Was what you were going to say? <laughs> <'Cause-> <laughs> No, I'm, co- I'm
1: I'm off the discourse on medical advice. <laughs>
0: yeah, which, yeah, which country is the equivalent of Keir starmer in the Balkans? Please let us know in the comments. <laughs> it's definitely Albania, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, like to sort of describe, so th- there's a guest who we will have on at some point because we'll need to discuss like the composition of Turkish society because a significant component of it are going to be refugees from this Romelia. But these are the people who have experienced capitalism as we approximately understand it. Because for people who listened to last episode, the the early Turkish Republic economic policy looks like a lot of the Global South's economic policies when they have their national liberation. Which is, they are trying to make capitalism a thing that can actually work, usually with the assistance of the Communist Party. Which is kind of funny, but that's just kind of Stalin's fault. I blame Stalin for that one. But,
3: Mm.
0: yeah... Rare L for the big man, I'm afraid. (laughs) And on Victory Day, too, when we're recording this. oh, we're really laying it in, (laughs) you know. Um, Yeah, so the Ottoman, sorry, the early Republican Turkish economic policy is private accumulation. Let's have, like, people, we'll do land reform, we'll give land to farmers, uh, we'll give children happy meals. No, sorry, that's West Streeting, future leader of the (laughs) Labour Party.
1: You heard it here first.
0: That's, yeah, well, yeah, first, right? Where did I get that idea from?
2: Um, I am here, so technically.
0: Yeah, so... But you get the idea. They're trying to make capitalism a thing, a capital T thing, but it was already a thing in the Ottoman Empire, just not in the Turkey bit of it, but in the bits outside of Turkey, which which is why the first May 1st, sort of May Day celebration that happened in the Ottoman Empire happened in Skopje, which is in North Macedonia, as opposed to, like, in Istanbul, where you would expect it to happen, given that's where it always happens now. It will never end. May 1st will go on forever in Turkey, and it will, it will, it will simply never stop. But the so- so this Ottoman Socialist Party, it tries to join the Second International. It doesn't get admitted into the Second International. There are a couple of, like, kind of important figures in it, but they kind of fall from they fall from history really quickly, especially because the Young Turks do their military coup in 1913. Everyone gets exiled or imprisoned or executed in some cases. But some of them are released, and so some of them decide to form this party called the Independent Socialist Party. It doesn't go anywhere. Then they form this political party called... Well, they join with this other political party called the Workers and Farmers Socialist Party, which is one of the founding political parties of, uh, of the Turkish Communist Party. It's one of the, the political parties that formed it originally. Because the Turkish Communist Party... So, the original Turkish Communist Party, brackets 1920, not brackets official, that's a different political party.
1: <laughs> this, this isn't confusing <laughs> at all, this, It's life.
0: so confusing! It's, so, t- if you look on Wikipedia... It is called the Turkish Communist Party Brackets Historical. That is the political party we're talking about. Not the current Turkish Communist Party, which is technically the same political party, but just <laughs> refounded.
1: But not historical, okay.
0: Not historical. This That's the modern version of
1: Brackets it. Geographical. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> They have the First Party Conference. They're founded at their First Party Conference in Baku, which you will note is not in Turkey. You know, you might be wondering, well, why the fuck have they done it in Baku in 1920 and not in, say, you know, Malaysia? I don't know. I just picked a random place and decided that's where the communists would go. I don't know where they would go, but... Batman yeah batman yeah the the batman Confer- the batman declaration by the communist party of <laughs> turkey oh the history we were denied so there's the workers and farmers socialist party of turkey then we then some of the other delegates so there are about 85 delegates i think it's 87 delegates in total and so mo- a lot of them are from this workers and farmers socialist party of turkey who are kind of the biggest of all of the small very unsuccessful political parties that exist that are on the left in turkey and they're an explicitly like marxist leninist party they are following the path of lenin at least that's what they'll have you believe i also like that there's a section on the turkish wikipedia that basically says sequel parties incidentally (laughs) but they're but they're they're like culturally a significant political party even if they're not like famous now a lot of people will not know about this party because obviously you know about the Turkish Communist Party, right? That's the party. That is the party in every way. But they joined the Third International. They have a media they have a media they have a media organ it's called, but like they have a magazine. Obviously all of these parties at the time have magazines and publications. Their magazine was called Kurtulush, which just means uh, liberation or freedom or it's it's the word that Turkey uses to describe its independence war, which is Kurtulus Savasha. And also, that TV series where that guy resigns and they all applaud is called Kurtulush. They are kind of a unique political party in the sense that they're like, they openly align with Armenian political parties as well. Because you remember Armenia is also in the Ottoman Empire for a lot of this party's existence. And they align with the uh, Social Democratic Party. I think they were called the Hunchaks in Armenia. But basically, when I say social democrat, I do not, not, I do not mean class collaborators that we have today that call themselves social democrats. I mean like Rosa Luxemburg social democrat, right? Right. Good social democrats, competent mm. social democrats. Uh, not the German ones. Not good, <laughs> not competent. I think like Hunshak means something like bell in Armenian. It's kind, of, it's kind of a funny name. They were founded in, they kind of were in Russia and in the Ottoman Empire, obviously, just by virtue of where that border and population fell. But they can't, they, they worked explicitly with these kinds of parties, and they, you know, they were big in, especially in, like, uh, like transport industries, which is very funny that, like, trolleybus workers were really into the Farmers and Workers Party. Oh, sorry, Workers and Farmers Socialist Party. There were very few farmers in it, by my reckoning, because it seems to primarily exist in Istanbul. And they, uh, they, they get banned, obviously, because they're a marxist Leninist party. They get banned by the occupation in Istanbul, by the Brits. The Brits come and they ban them. How,
1: how so, very British. Yeah. Mm.
0: So they, they start publishing a secret publication called uh, Eidunluk, which is uh, like Enlightenment, I guess, if you like, or, light, or Lighting. Yeah, Enlightenment, I guess. And they sort of affiliate via the Communist Party to the Third International. And some members of the party get really mad about having Aidenluck because Aidenluck is, is made legal basically. And a few of these people decide to, and some of these people will come up later. Shevket Surya Aideme will, uh, will be important later because he's an important member in Kadro and also like the guy who writes all of the biographies for all of the chemists. So they kind of clash with the party and decide to walk away from that specific party, but they're still in the communist party. It's a complicated thing. There's a lot of affiliated political parties, but the other thing that's affiliated to it, how many do you guys remember the the Circassian pirate guy?
1: Yeah mm-hmm.
0: yeah yeah, the Circassian pirate guy. well he those of you who didn't listen to the episode, he was leading a faction of like militants in Anatolia called the Green Armies. They also sent delegates to the to The founding conference of the Turkish Communist Party. So, a significant portion of the Turkish Communist Party's founding, the delegates there were also like guerrilla fighters who were fighting alongside the Kemalists at the time. Yeah. And that, you can sort of see where this leads for the Communist Party. They have picked a side, essentially, in the independence war.
1: Yeah. Because, Com- Communist Party brackets nautical.
0: Yeah. And. <laughs> Also, I should say that like the the Workers and Farmers Party also, they were kind of sceptical of the Kemalists, but they basically were good boys and did what Stalin told them, which was they're not communists, but your job is to support them because you want to deal with the Brits? Yeah. And that was a persuasive argument, it seems, which, I mean, that actually does sound like a legitimately persuasive argument, so yeah, that is, that is what happened there, and... I should note that there were other like socialist parties in the Ottoman Empire. There was like the Social Democratic Party, which was a really weird political party to found, given the litany of like much more functional political parties around them. So we have Green Army delegates. We also have the presence of people who So we gotta to go to World War One. So Russia advanced into Anatolia and took a lot of prisoners of war. So the Red Army, when they um when they started their revolution, basically took the Turkish prisoners of wars and said, would you like to do some communism? And they're like, well, I'm not <laughs> going to be in prison if I do communism, so yes. And so you end up with a bunch of Turkish people kind of fighting on the side of the Red Army during the Russian Civil War. Fantastic. Yeah, it is great. And they end up coming to Baku. They send some representatives of their own to Baku as sort of like the organized military, you know, the, what was it? I forget what it's called, like the Turkish Red Army faction or something like that. They have like they have an official name that's that sounds suspiciously like a terror group. But <laughs> you know <laughs> like I realised what I said as I was saying. I was like, no, that's a different thing. That's a different thing I was referring to. But they, they definitely um they definitely sent people off to um off to it. And they were an organized faction within the Red Army and there's that, and so for people who wonder why, so there might be some Turkish people listening who wonder why there's like Caucasus style folk music that's in Turkish and about like Turkish people fighting in the Red Army. That's why there, there were Turkish people who fought in the Red Army, um, even up until World War Two, which is a very long time to stay there. But some of them were exiled to places like, well, they're exiled to Russia, essentially, uh, in the 1910s. So a lot of these people who are significant in the In the sort of Socialist Party, and in the Ottoman Socialist Party, and in the um, and in the Workers and Farmers Party, a lot of them get arrested in the night, like with the military coup, and they get exiled to. They get exiled within the Ottoman Empire, but they kind of those places end up falling to the Russians, and they're like, "Well, what to do except join the Red Army?" I guess you know, (laughs) like just conveniently fall into the lap of the Red Army as a communist. Seems like it's
2: worth a punt,
1: yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, what else are you going to do? A gap year? Well, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. So i I've got a, i've got an actual number of delegates now. It's 74 delegates. It turns out. Obviously, this party's founded in 1920, so we're in the middle of the uh, we're in the middle of the independence war at this point. So 1920, we're in the actual like combat phase of it, and this is when Mustafa Kemal pulls his stunt where he forms a sort of Turkish Communist Party brackets official, which in turn provokes a bunch of communists within Turkey. Because remember, these communists are currently outside of Turkey. A bunch of communists in Turkey decided to form the People's Communist Party of Turkey, brackets 1920. Which is not confusing at all, because there's another political party called the People's Turkish People's Communist Party of Turkey, which the Turkish Communist Party merged into later. <laughs>
2: I'm not really keen on this, like, reverse leftism where, like, you unsplit.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really... somehow
2: un- more confusing.
0: It's it's it's because there isn't a great Trotskyist tradition in Turkish communism, I guess, because <laughs> no one in Turkey is insane enough to think Leon Trotsky was right about anything. Fair. So, which is, you know, it's a way Turkey is different to Britain, I guess.
2: And to its credit.
0: Yeah, to its credit, yeah, I don't, there must be a Trotskyist Communist Party in Turkey. I mean, for fuck's sake, there's so many different, like, weird Communist Parties in Turkey. If I just go onto the Wikipedia page for Communist Parties in Turkey... No, there, there, aren't,
1: there, be... there aren't any, because Paul Mason chased them all out. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've just, I've just, I've just clicked on, like, hold on, I'm going to search for, like, socialist political parties in Turkey really quick. Um, hold on, defunct Communist Parties in Turkey. Here we go. This is the good stuff. A lot of parties, including the anti-capitalist party. Well, at least they were explicit. Oh, that was a Trotsky- Trotskyist party. <laughs> I found it. I found the fucking Trotskyist party. Ah, it was... Aha. It was uh, It was closely allied to, get this, the Socialist Workers Party, brackets UK. Oopsie. That's not good. <laughs> So these these are the biggest fucking losers in Turkey. I, I officially apologize to the Kadro movement. These are the biggest losers in Turkish communist history. I hate... Can't to, believe hate you to...
2: found the co-op to their label.
0: Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> they end up joining the Equality and Democracy Party. Well, that sounds like an improvement, to be honest, on Trotskyism. Okay, so how, do, how did the communists end up in Turkey? Like, this main group of Tur- the Turkish Communist Party. So... They, they established themselves in Baku, and there are a group of exiled soldiers and stuff, and you know, there are a lot of people there who are just sort of stuck there because of the war. Because war, it turns out, causes a lot of churn. It's not, it's little known, but war does cause a lot of churn. And so the person who's elected to be the leader of the Communist Party, the first leader of the, Com- well, sorry, not leader of the Communist Party, well, he's the founder. The first general secretary is Etem Nezhat, but the founder of the party is this gentleman called Mustafa Sufi, He starts communicating with Mustafa Kamal because the Communist Party decide, well, obviously the correct position is to support the independence war because fuck the Brits. Standard positioning, I think, for any communist to take.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah, no notes.
0: Yeah, so we're going, fuck the Brits. What they do is they want to come to Ankara. Mustafa Kamal says, well, why don't you come to Ankara to become part of the, you know, the, you know, the, Parallel government we formed because the government that actually exists is shit, and we told them to go fuck themselves. They try to come to Turkey, so they have to go to Turkey by boat because overland through the Caucasus, it's uh you know, it's a whole thing, right? It's it's just difficult. So you ha- it's easier to go from Baku to I think they went to somewhere on the Black Sea coast. Um, well, they must have been the Black Sea coast they went to some one of the resort towns now on the Black Sea coast, get on a boat, they tried to get to... Oh, no, wait, no, no, sorry, scratch all of that. They do try to come by land, it turns out. I just think that's incredibly stupid, because of course it is. So they try to go by land, and they go to Kaz and Erzurum, which are these two cities in eastern Turkey that that were occupied by Russia, kinda. So they were kind of sneaking through this territory, because I think at the time it was just about still Armenian territory, but it was probably falling as they were going through. And they wanted to meet with the commander in the eastern front, who's the, who we talked about before, called Kazem Karabekir, who was the one who got told by the emperor to arrest Mustafa Kamau, and who went, no, I will, I will simply not do that, and actually end up joining the, the, the rebellion against you, basically. Which, you know, good, good move from the emperor, really. But mm. there were protests against them when they entered the country, and the, so this is not proven this is speculation but there is there's a sense that these protests were deliberately organized by Kazim Karabekir because he was much less keen on communists than even the regular kemalists were because they were not very keen on the communists you know they just they they were not fans of the communists in general so they get told to go to trabzon which is this large city on the uh, on the northeastern coast of Turkey. And incidentally, it's kind of funny that they get sent to these places because these places are actually kind of the hotbeds of leftism for a while in Turkey, which is, which is funny because they try to do these probably fake protests against them. So they try to go by sea to reach Samson. So there's a recurring thing in the independence war where whenever you try to get to Ankara, you go by sea to Samson and then just trek in. And it's this long road. I think it was called the Independence Road, even. But it's this long trail where, like, supplies and men and weapons would just be sent down. And yet no one ever thought to try and threaten that really critical supply line until the Americans tried and then bungled it and only blew up, like, American-owned tobacco factories.
2: (laughs) (laughs) God, the CIA really did get started quite early, didn't it?
0: Yeah, I, I actually, I, I love reading about, like, the early CIA because they're so fucking shit at their job. <laughs> it's unbelievably shit. But this was, this was a US Navy operation, which oh, perhaps was... explains why it was even more of a shit show. So what happens is they try to go to Trabzon, and in Trabzon, they're killed. Mustafa Sufi and all of his, all of his companions are killed. And this is, like, this is a big deal, right? Because these people are invited there by Mustafa Kamal. And so Mustafa Kamal looks very innocent. He's like, why would I kill people who I've invited personally to this wedding, you know? <laughs> like, how could... Just because the Reigns of Castamir started playing as soon as they set foot <laughs> on land, doesn't mean I ordered the assassination. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you that there are three versions of this story I've heard. So I'm going to tell you all three of the stories, and you're going to tell me which one you think is the most credible.
3: Okay. Okay.
0: First story. They arrive in Trabzon and the emperor still has influence in Anatolia, which is true. So he hires a, a group of men to corner the communists and kill them. That's, right. that's the simplest version of the story. The other version of the story is either Mustafa Kemal or Kazim Karabekir hire the men and they kill him. Right? They kill them, right? Mm-hmm. They kill the communists. Now... I'm gonna put. I'm gonna offer this thought, which is Mustafa Kemal did invite them, and Kazim Karabekir did send them to Trabzon to then get on a boat to go to this place. The yeah. other theory. The other theory is that Stalin colluded with. I'm not even kidding here. That Stalin colluded with some of the other Turkish nationalists he was in contact with to kill. Mustafa Sufi, because he didn't believe that he was sufficiently loyal to the Bolshevik <laughs> party. Yeah, it's that one. It was
2: that one. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> and there was actually one... Um, there was one... Actually, someone who was uh, purged by Stalin, a gentleman called Sultan Galiev. Um One of the main claims against him in his... Well, it might have been a show trial. I don't know. This doesn't sound credible, because Mustafa Sufi... And the, fact that he, and the fact that these sort of predecessor parties worked with the uh, with Armenian political parties and Greek political parties. And, all the, and also a lot of these parties' political bases were in the Jewish and Greek communities in Romelia. So I don't quite find this credible, but one of the accusations levelled by Stalin at this person's uh, show trial was that he formed an illegal pan-Turkist and Turanist faction with Mustafa Sufi.
1: I mean, you can't do that though, that's illegal.
0: Yeah, they can't do that. That's against the law. That's that would be like having a curry and the beer with your staffers during lockdown. (laughs) It's not allowed. It's just illegal. (laughs) I'm still in awe of that. So, I'm. I will leave it up to the audience to think which one of these stories is the most credible. I think there's some. There's. I think the first two are the most likely, but also. it is kind of funny that Stalin specifically names this person who he has killed in this guy's trial much later.
1: Yeah. I mean so the... Did Stalin have a, a large robotnik son we don't know about. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Stalin's large robotnik son Ivo Stalin. <laughs> New emote just dropped. Hello. Uh but yeah, so that the so the person who um who kills him, who kills uh who kills the members of the communist party is this person called um i think it was someone called Yahya Kahia even um so he he's this person who um he's the person who is uh, accused of killing them he did kill them there's there's like no no evidence that you know he didn't so there's no evidence he didn't so he did it's not a great legal system I
1: was going to say is that how that works
0: <laughs> yeah yeah so okay so he <laughs> Is witnessed doing the murders. Basically, this is like a publicly seen murder. This is not like a secret murder. This is not Assassin's Creed. Although, admittedly, every assassination I did in Assassin's Creed was very public. So,
1: yeah, this is some like uh, first day on first day as Agent Forty Seven type shit. Is it just yeah? Threw an exploding <laughs> yeah. duck at them in the street and then ran off.
0: Yeah, I mean it's something like that. And so they they do a show trial in Sivas and so all of the uh, Yahya and all those people are just uh, are just because what happens is when you murder people out in the open in the streets people get kind of pissed off and so there were like there were kind of like riots going on in the city because people were really fucking angry like yeah. not on behalf of the communists they they didn't re- that wasn't really the f- reason behind why they were angry they were like why are we openly killing people who are supposed to be, you know, on our side in this independence war?
1: What I will say is it, it, that sort of thing very, very much depends on who you kill in the street. So if you're going to murder anyone in the street, learn to read the room.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Everyone knows that if you're innocent in the in the court of public opinion, you're innocent IRL. actually. Yeah. So
1: it's like that, it's like that bit in Spider-Man Two where his mask comes off.
0: Yeah. So he gets let off because of a lack of evidence which considering everyone saw him do it, is suspect, I will be honest. And so he comes back to uh, Trabzon, which is where he is, and he um, he ends up, so they kill them on the ship, right? At least that's what uh, it's, it reads like here. And they he comes back to Trubzon after his show trial where he's acquitted, and he's there's sort of still pressure because people are still pissed off, and he threatens to, um, he threatens to sort of reveal the plot. He he threatens to sort of uh, to dob in all of his accomplices. Hate spoils. He spoils. Yeah, he he's a fucking snitch, basically.
1: Yeah. And So I imagine he got stitches, did he?
0: Well, yes, because he was um a decision was made by his collaborators and, and particularly the people who were backing him and or who were turning a blind eye to a lot of his activities. Because the decision was made to kill him, and he was ambushed with his men near a barracks and he was killed by the commander of the guard regiment, which yeah. So he was he was ambushed and killed by an actual soldier, and this murder, so it was Mustafa Sufi and fourteen of his uh, of his comrades, including the general secretary who I mentioned. So once this murder is done, the Turkish Communist Party kind of looks at the situation and goes, Well fuck. We clearly cannot operate as an you know, as an illegal open political party. We have to operate as an illegal political party. So they decide that they are gonna, that the Turkish Communist Party itself is gonna be the illegal, you know, political party that's underground and organising in trade unions and stuff like this. But they have a legal political organ. So you you see this a lot with Turkish political parties that are on the left, which is they will often have a an illegal political party that does like military shit, and alongside that they have the party, the actual like a legal political party. It's, it's this model that you have in Turkey called the party front model, where you have the sort of actual political organs that sort of, you know, they, they, they look like they're doing electoralism. No, we're legal, we're happy, we're smiling, we're Sinn Féin, you know? But then they have the, <laughs> they have the front, which is, you know, the, the, the men coming around with the, with the AK-47s yeah. and the balaclavas. everything. So, time-
1: Every time you said legal political party, I just pictured a certain individual with his one beer and his sad curry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I was just
2: thinking about a hat and a couple of handguns.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, the illegal political party, I, I shouldn't say, but, the, sorry, the legal political party, it has a very Ottoman Turkish name. I've literally never seen this word before in my life, and I'm going to try and pronounce it. Kiya ha'k Isterakyun partisi. Um, which is... Oh, sorry, it would be furkasa at the time, because that was the word for party. But it's the People's Participation Party. So they just they just want participation awards, the communists. Yeah. They just want participation awards. Also, I've just been given a bunch of dumplings by my partner, so I'm going to be in heaven.
2: Nice. Real shame yeah. that Ben's not here to hand out an end participation award to this.
3: Mm.
0: <laughs> but yeah, that's the legal political party. And so they... I, I this,
1: really want dumplings now.
0: <laughs> yeah, these are, these are like Far Eastern dumplings. They're really nice as well. So, they, so this legal political front is dissolved because by the time we get to 1922 and sort of the end of the independence war, the active fighting bit of the independence war, they decide, well, if we have a front organization that is a legal political party, but we're not really doing anything with the secret political organization, we may as well just be the Turkish Communist Party. And just sort of see where that leads. And where it led was getting banned again. So they got banned uh, <laughs> in, in um, August 15th, 1922 and they carried on being an illegal political party. And in this time they're having conferences and stuff like that. They're doing it all in secret obviously. <laughs> you know, they're having big conferences. You know, McDonald's have got a stand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh. Sponsored mm. by Raytheon. <laughs> I, just, I really like the idea of a big conference hall for the illegal, um, the, the illegal political party conference. That's fucking magic.
0: Yeah, but that, that is what happens. It still happens, to be fair. There are like political parties in Turkey today. They're obviously illegal, <laughs> but still operate. It's, and it's like turning they, up to actually
2: go to the black market.
0: Yeah, yeah and <laughs> the, the thing I find funny about that is... As
1: you enter, the, they hand you a single bottle of San Miguel.
0: The, th- the thing, like, the thing I find funny about that is you'll you'll see like websites talking about the m- amount of members in these parties, and they'll be like, "The number of members is unknown because it is an illegal political party." And I'm like, "Yes, that does make a lot of sense. Keeping a list of your members of your illegal political party is a step too far, even for Turkish people to fucking manage to think that's a good idea." Apparently, yeah. My so- like crimes
2: text. Yeah, a bold defence <laughs> we- for the Labour Party to take on now, but I can see why they would do it. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, we can't release any membership numbers at all. We're illegal.
0: <laughs> We've been thrown in jail. Sorry. <laughs> that's K. Starmer's gambit with this, isn't it?
2: <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly it. He's he's going to take the he's going to take the L and get a fixed penalty notice so that he can then declare the Labour Party illegal, stand down, and West Streeton can go on the black market of politics. <laughs> the black marketplace of ideas. <laughs>
0: Can we please get like a sign made for that? <laughs> <laughs> like, we—it sounds ridiculous to us, but this was a thing that was plausible back then because you didn't have Twitter, and you wouldn't have had like Mao Lover '69 posting a selfie from the illegal conference. <laughs> Sorry to Mao Lover '69, friend of the show, of course. Yeah, um, pre- presumably listening right now. So they they become a legal political party again, but they're immediately banned, basically. And they have this one conference after they're banned, and basically they start convening secretly. What happens is, oh no! Sorry, I've got a <laughs> sorry. So what happens is, so so they they operate in secret, but they obviously have like legal political fronts, and uh, you know they're still publishing leaflets and stuff like that. So in 1925, we talked about this last episode, the Sheik Said Rebellion. Yeah. That the, one of the things that the Republican People's Party did in response to that was close all of the other political parties in the country, and in 1925, a bunch of them are arrested. So this keeps happening to the Turkish Communist Party; they keep getting arrested over and over again. Basically, purged. Like hmm. these are one of the political purges that start happening under Mustafa Kemal because there's there's kind of an international context to this, right? So Europe in the mid 20s, a lot of people sort of look at Europe in the mid 20s and they go, well. There are really three types of countries you can be in Europe in the mid-20s. There's fascist country, so Italy. There's communist country, so the Soviet Union. And there's, you know, countries that we recognize as vaguely like the democracies we have now, but without universal suffrage, mostly, Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Do you know, UK, France, Weimar, Germany, Netherlands, Scandinavia, those kinds of places. But there is like a fourth thing you can be. Which is presidential autocracy, which was probably what most of Europe was at this time, in one form or another, or you know in Hungary, you had the guy who was a regent for a kingdom that didn't exist and also was an admiral for a landlocked country <laughs> that's
1: that's the kind of that's the kind of job I'd love to have, do you know what I mean
0: <laughs> just uh, yeah, stop uh, asking
2: you, uh, me to seal yeah.
0: <laughs> where do you want me to sail this lake but and turkey's very much in this fourth configuration
1: deploying, deploying submarines because people won't bring the peddlers back on time
0: or something like that you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> so turkey is in this fourth category of presidential autocracy and a lot and you'll see this in like lithuania and latvia and estonia and poland and all these other countries that sort of start existing as a result of world war one They have a political formation attached to the president or their figurehead, and they usually have a parliament, and they usually, you know, look like they're doing the democracy, right? It looks like a democracy. It just has one party and one guy. Yeah. So for Mustafa Kemal, he looks at sort of fascism and socialism and communism. And these these are active and dynamic political forces that exist in Turkey at this time. Fascism, admittedly, is held within that progressive Republican party that he opposed, that opposed him. Because while people won't say that the Young Turks were fascists necessarily, because there's a specific definition of fascist that you have to meet, according to some people, I will say that a political party and political movement that explicitly attempted to eliminate a minority ethnic group from a region, probably fascist. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say probably fascist and a lot of former members of the political wing of that movement, we were in that party and were doing pan Turkism shit. So I don't know what you want me to call them, basically. I mean,
2: scratch a liberal. Like, it doesn't really matter at this yeah. point.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Fish hook moment. Um, <laughs> so, because the fascism, a lot of the fascism in Turkey in the 20s is confined to the military to an extent and to young officers. So, this will come up in the 40s. When we reach the 40s, a lot of young officers or people who are just sort of coming of age around this time become integral to founding the sort of legal and political wings of the fascist movement in Turkey. So it's largely confined to the military at this point, And the military is basically completely loyal to Mustafa Kemal because he comes from the military and he's basically done this revolution so that the well-educated military types were basically the top politicians, right? Right. Like The Republican People's Party, most of the politicians, if you look at them, just examine their past, it's went to the Military Academy, fought in World War I, became an MP for a region that they'd basically never been to before because we needed to make up the numbers, and then they become senior politicians in the Republican People's Party. Or some of the other parties later, when they exist. But that is, by and large, the career trajectory of the major politicians at this time. Which is why people like, um, you know, why the sort of Mustafa Sufis and those, those people of the world who were just like regular soldiers, mostly. Some of them were intellectuals, obviously, but like a lot of the Turkish Communist Party's early membership were like kind of regular people. Which, just guys. You know, just guys being dudes, you know. Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of them were prisoners of war who, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of them were prisoners of war. You know, that's, that's, what's, that's what's going on. They're, they're, they're not officer level. Well, they might be, but they're not, like, high-ranking officers. You know, Mustafa Kemal was a pasha, right? That's, pasha is, like, uh, honorific given to generals of a certain rank. The party decides in 1926 to hold their conference in Vienna, because it's lovely there, and also the Turk does lust for Vienna. So at last, <laughs> at la- the communists, you see, this is the thing. If you're communist and you're Turkish, you get Vienna. If you're not, well, tough luck, I'm afraid. So I'm I'll be, I'll be visiting Vienna soon. Nice. So I'm planning to just fuck off for 3 months and travel basically. So if anyone's wondering what that's about. So they decide at this conference in Vienna to draft a new program for what the fuck they're going to be doing. And they appoint a new general secretary because everyone's been killed or arrested and they try to find some organizing potential. So there are two areas where they have quite a lot of organizing success, which is tobacco Farmers and workers because in Turkey, there are basically three or four big productive export industries, and tobacco was the big one and you might remember from the reform factory episode they nationalized the tobacco industry, which was owned by two French companies at the time, and obviously they are then held by the state single state company Tekel, which is had that really dope looking logo if you'll recall yeah they decide to to try and form these organa just try and organize within the working class, right? It's Communist Party stuff. You're trying to organize within the working class. I am gonna have the rest. Yeah, sorry. I'm sorry. I was just- my partner just entered the room and asked, are you gonna eat that? I'm like, yes, I'm gonna eat that. Like, <laughs> what an outrageous way to behave. <laughs> like, it's her birthday tomorrow. She's already taking full advantage. Oh my god. <laughs> right anyway we'll get back to that i'm leaving that in she has to be she has to be called out everyone (laughs) so so um there are internal problems in the party right because there are two there are two political positions here in the late 20s and they relate to how does the communist party relate to kemalism right because you have to you have to reckon with it. It's like the sun. It's too big to ignore, but you also can't look right at it, right? Because looking right at it is going to cause problems. And it does cause problems in the party. So the person they elect as General Secretary takes this position of, let's reconcile with Kemalism. Let's try and do Marxism Kemalism. Uh, you know, uh, what did I call it before? Le- uh, Social Kemalism. Let's try that, <laughs> you know. Let's try and do... Let's tr- and I As I point out, Kemalism is basically like liberalism, ideal... You know, it's the ideal form of liberalism. So what you're getting is Blairism from this, basically. You're getting Blairism from this. But the... uh, So basically, what happens in 1927, before all of this can really properly come to a head, is they are... In 1927, in the autumn, there are massive arrests done against the Turkish Communist Party. Like, these are the ones that basically are a critical blow to its operating capacity, really. Uh, And this is a party that's already trying to recover. It's already trying to recover from several arrests. And what happens is these people who sort of say we should reconcile with Kemalism, after they're arrested, they flip and make this... um, And later on, they found KADRO, which is uh, Ben's favorite uh, political organization uh so the people who were caught in the arrests and tried in absentia, so basically there was a very famous poet, Nazim Hikmet, who is a legendarily good poet. highly recommend people read his poems he was uh, he was outside of the country he was sentenced to three months in absentia um Shefi Kusner, who I believe goes on to become a member of uh of kadro he becomes he is sentenced to three months and so that's kind of interesting that he doesn't. But the really interesting ones are the two main players in uh, in Kudro. They get acquitted. They're not sentenced to anything. They're like, "Oh, we're arresting people for being communists, and yet you're a Blairite, so I guess we're going to let you go." You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of the vibe of it. And so they they leave the party and they publish the Kadro magazine basically the party at this point is kind of scattered and weak and disorganized uh basically nazim hikmet is expelled from the party it's it's a really complicated mess basically this is a party in free fall and everyone's turning on everyone and eventually shefik husnu this person who was arrested and then released um he is named representative of Comintern. And he tries to sort of keep this party alive in this intervening period. But the Italian Communist Party basically doesn't ex- matter until the late, until the 40s at this point. Where, it, you know, it adopts an explicitly anti-fascist policy during World War II, which is good, and and sort of is not a, it's, it's not, um it sort of founds front parties and does that sort of stuff, but it's not like massively important but that's where we'll leave the Turkish Communist Party for now. Well, now we've got to talk about Kadro, the squad. Let's go. Cool. So the squad. Alright, the squad. So, Kadro, it's a... So Kudrow, So there are two different things here. There's Kadro, the movement, you know, the Kadro movement, the people who are trying to reconcile the fact that they they believe they're Marxists with... The fact that a revolution has very much happened in Turkey, and boy, it wasn't a communist one. right? And then there's Kadro the magazine. And what I'm going to do is share an image of one of the first issues of Kadro in the Discord for you. This is the style of it. I
2: like it. Okay.
0: Yeah, it's not bad, right? Nope. Like, they, they have a pretty decent style about them.
2: Is this a shame about the contents moment?
0: Yeah, maybe a little bit. So... <laughs> So the founders of this are Yakup Kadri Kara Osmanoğlu, Şevket Surya Aydemir, and Vedat Nedimtur. And uh, Kara Osmanoğlu is the person who has the has the um, publishing ability. Basically, he has the means to publish. He has the the ability to get this. Ask permission from Mustafa Kemal to publish a magazine, which is. I'm not going to comment on, but if you're a communist and you're asking permission from the King Lib, I mean, <laughs> look, I'm just, I, I'm just, and so I, I'm calling them the squad, but Kadro does kind of mean Kadra, right? That is what it really means. But Kadro is also the Turkish word for squad. And so I'm calling these guys the squad as a magazine. It's relatively unremarkable. I would say it's not like a, it's not like a historically important, uh, Historically important magazine, but I have found an alternative cover for issue one for you all. That's the alternative issue.
2: Mm, that's good.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I kind I kind of like the top one more.
1: Yeah, that looks like something, and I can't think what it is.
0: But also, on the other hand, that Card- the second caldrow one could be an emote because it's already a circle.
1: <laughs>
0: it's, I, I I just like the style of both, to be honest. But that, yeah,
1: what that that second one looks like a lo- like a corporate logo, I'm sure.
0: Oh yeah, probably. <laughs> like, I don't
1: think, I don't think what, what it's reminded me of, it's really bugging me. Yeah.
0: So, so Kadro, the magazine is a monthly magazine. It's kind of like New Statesman kind of deal. I actually kind of founded it around the same time too. So they had a lot of like notable staff members. Uh, this Jakob Kadri Osman, he can ask Mustafa Kamal permission because he's kind of a close-ish friend of Mustafa Kamal and he basically, this is kind of like client journalism. I'm doing the video on client journalism. He is literally the patron to their client, basically. Mm. Like, he is the one providing the money and the political cover and all of this other stuff to just kind of let them be the left wing of Kemalism or the leftmost flank that is allowed in Turkey because they know where the line is and no one tells them what to write. But, you know, they, they know what they're allowed to write and what they're not allowed to write. You know, like a British journalist. Mm
2: -hmm. Yes, um, a couple of nameable ones, yeah.
0: Yeah. But we we won't do that. (laughs) We won't do that. That's a different podcast (laughs) where we start naming people. So, here's something I didn't know about Kadro and people who'd written in Kadro. One of the people who's written in Kadro, this is why Ben's going to be really disappointed, is in fact Isma İnönü, their favourite person, their favourite Turkish political figure. He wrote in Kadro. And him writing in Kudrow is one of the reasons why he was accused of being a communist. (laughs) So, oops, it's Paul Mason hours, everyone. That's what we're doing here. Incredibly funny that that's something that happened. What was the
2: 1920s equivalent of space?
0: Oh, man, I don't even want to think about it, because it must have been like 80 times more dangerous. Jazz. Jazz. Alright, okay, so here's a fun thing I've just seen. Apparently there was a translation into English of it by a guy called, a British industrialist called Lord Melchett, which is such a fucking fake name. Isn't that, <laughs> yeah, isn't that,
2: that someone from Blackadder? As yeah, Stephen yeah. Fry in their the last Blackadder series, yeah.
0: Yeah, and also the, the only interview they ever did was with... Um, was w- so here's the, here's the thing. Their only interview they ever published is with a gentleman called Hans Zehra, who was the editor-in-chief of a German right-wing newspaper... Sorry, mm. magazine. Mm. A German right-wing magazine in the, 20, in the early 30s. Mm. Ooh, I wonder what, what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it does specify that it was an anti-Nazi magazine. However my guess is a lot of people who read that magazine may have fallen into line when the time <laughs> came yeah but uh, but here's the thing if you're a serious communist magazine don't interview right-wing people this is step 1 yeah so just just step 1 step 2 is don't have an explicit public statement of support from the king lib editor because he had like a, he explicitly supported it. so obviously isma inonu published was published in it and His article was called Statism of Our Party. So he was explaining one of the six arrows, which is statism. And it's like, Isma Inonu has this thing that he would say where he's like, if you're statist and you're populist, you are necessarily left of center. And I'm like, "Mm, Um... (laughs) does that mean that Boris Johnson in 2019 election mode was left of center, therefore? Because there sure was a lot of populism and statism going on there. So who's to say whether Isma Inonu was just kind of playing with people there. But Mustafa Kamal does support it. And there is a statement published in a special issue, which was published on the 10th anniversary of the founding of the Republic, which is also the one where Isma Inonu sort of um, publishes himself. Because it's like, well, you know, you're a major magazine. You know, it's the 10th anniversary of the Republic. We allow you to publish. So, you know, why not? You know, what's the risk, right? And there's a statement on the first page published with the headlines, compliment of his excellency to the you know, staff writers and the compliments of our great chief who gave enthusiasm and encouragement to our magazine on the occasion of the 10th anniversary of our republic, of the republic, sorry. That's kind of poorly translated on my part, but you get the picture. I remember that while the staff was discussing, they wrote that their purpose was to serve the establishment and development of the profession and method unique to the Turkish nation and country. I wish to staff great success in this purpose. This does not sound like a communist magazine, does it?
2: No. No.
0: Doesn't sound communist to me.
2: Um, it sounds like the self-aware guardian.
0: Yeah, this is the <laughs> self-aware guardian. They're like, no, we're here to serve the particular you know, establish- the establishment of a particular way of thinking in this country that is, you know, we're policing the left side. So you may not have any clue what the fuck Cadro actually believed at this point, and that's kind of on purpose, on my part, because the ideology is just complete fucking nonsense. So the, the core belief is this, so that there's a revolution that will occur in two stages. So, the first stage of the revolution is Come to Athens. Liberate- Come to Athens, yes. <laughs> it, <it's>, I- <laughs> I'm now I'm imagining Cadro Cadroja Paul Mason <laughs> and- <laughs> And to be honest, this is kind of Yeah like
2: Masonism. It sounds isn't? like a lot of fucking liberalism, but like obfuscated by really fucking badly put together revolutionary language and that's just Paul Mason at his core. Yeah,
0: I, I reckon the cadre lads would have less of a meltdown on Owen Jones' YouTube channel. They'd be able to handle <laughs> Owen Jones and Michael Walker. But regardless. So the idea so the first stage is achieving political economic sovereignty. Which is convenient, because that's a, a goal that aligns perfectly with camelism, right? That is the perfect I- alignment with camelism, right? The idea of camelism is, we don't want fucking foreigners controlling our economy, or dictating to us what our business is.
2: Don't like it, there's the door.
0: That, yeah, you know. And the, given them the... Co- yeah, given the context of <laughs> I'm now imagining Mustafa Kamal Baz, that's good. <laughs> I need the Baz guy, but in a cowpack made. So, uh, okay. <laughs> so, so they want to liberate the economy from imperialist influence, specifically. So this is where you start seeing deviations, and so they try and adapt Marxist theory around the economy but end up basically saying they want to do state capitalism so because they they're sort of not quite getting that what the soviet union ended up doing with central planning was not abolishing capitalism they were like oh no that's communism right communism is when the government does stuff they also really kind of uncomfortably borrowed elements from like francoism like late like the the emerging francoism and the fascism in italy which Now, there is a context to why they may have borrowed from some of that, and it's because Turkey's economic policy in response to the Great Depression was basically what if we did British liberal economics, Soviet command economics, and like fascist corporatism, but like in the specific, in these very specific areas so that they never touch each other, and then our economy will work perfectly and be crash proof. (laughs) Which, I mean, to be fair, worked it got them out of the fucking crisis really quickly actually but also that's just kind of what liberalism is it's what liberalism is actually meant to be they just did liberalism correctly yeah what they wanted was the state to have 100% control of the economy 100% control of the economy like no private enterprise no nothing right yeah and this is again aligned to Kemalism because one of the six arrows is statism, right? But if they want,
1: if the state controls the economy, then like everything will go badly, badly wrong, and um, we know that. You know what I mean? From from years of bitter experience with like the fucking like USSR or whatever. Yeah. And nobody nobody ever questioned like how things are going right now under capitalism.
3: Yeah, that's right.
1: It's fine. And... <laughs> and
0: so this is so this runs kind of alongside and counter to the kemalist idea of what you're meant to be doing. So once the great depression happens, the kemalists kind of retreat on this private accumulation idea. They retreat on private accumulation being the best way to do the capitalism in Turkey, but they still want private accumulation to happen, they just want a bit more state control and oversight so that, you know, devastating economic crashes don't happen so often. It's, it's a crazy concept, I know. It turns out Mustafa Kemal was a communist. It's just he would be a communist in Britain today.
2: Yeah. Hardly <laughs> <the> high praise.
0: <laughs> so the idea is we need to develop a middle class and a bourgeois class and, you know, all of this stuff. We need to develop the class dynamics. That's still the essence of the Kemalist economic program. Now they're just doing it with state over, you know, this sort of massive state in control of the large portions of the economy.
1: Yeah, what they should try is like the state doing the accumulation, and then once the once it it's proven to have like a master fortune, they should just give that to private enterprise.
0: I mean, that's what they did. Um, <laughs> that, that is what happened after the eighties. So I don't know what to tell you, man. It happened everywhere, you know. We all live in one country, and that country is capitalism. is kind of the theme of the podcast. Actually, it's just I'm demonstrating it with this one particular country. So the the reason the Calderos are like, the state should accumulate and be the, you know, the, the state should do the primitive accumulation, basically, is that it prevents the development of a bourgeois class, right? And so if you don't have a bourgeois class, you can't have class conflict, right? You can't have class conflict. There's no other class to have conflict with. Everyone is working class. Okay. Because capital is in the hand of the state, not of not in the hand of a bourgeois class that acts in its economic interest. Now, of course, that's really clever. It's a, it sounds like the one weird trick to sort of get there. It yeah. never fucking works. Everyone, because...
1: If everyone's working class, they all have fire in belly?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's... It, it's, it's, it does, it's nonsense, right? It's a complete nonsense political theory. Because that's not how it works. This is state... Ca- you've described state capitalism, I'm afraid.
1: Yeah, who's the, uh, who's the Turkish there, uh, Andrew Twentyman?
0: oh fucking christ (laughs) (laughs) i mean like the number of people who are in pizza places in turkey i mean we could be waiting a while to figure (laughs) that one out so turkey does do this state-centered sort of policy but the the aim of it is not to to prevent the development of different classes as understood by marxist theory the aim of it is to basically take this idea to its natural conclusion which is if the state has this sort of big presence in the economy, the economy can be stable and people will not starve necessarily every time there is an economic crash. Fine. I'm not saying that's bad, by the way. I'm, that's that's a completely fine economic theory to have. But the Kudras have this batshit crazy idea of how classes form. Because let's say the state does do this accumulation. Well you presumably organise the industries in the same way, right? So you have management, and they'll get paid more than other people, right? You have upper management, they'll get paid more than other people. And you end up with the class formations anyway, but with just this massive state that can choose to fucking starve people if it wants, I guess. You know, it can do all sorts of things. Don't like a particular city? Cut off its water. You're in control of the, you know, of everything, you know? I'm mostly, I'm mostly attacking this idea because it doesn't make any sense to me. Also, these classes had already formed in Turkey. I just, I cannot emphasize that enough. These classes already existed. So they're not really doing anything novel here. And the magazine, so the magazine is asked by Mustafa Kemal to, to close. They, ask, they he asks nicely, he says, "Could you close, please? now, if you were a communist newspaper doing communism, what do you think you would say
1: I mean, um you'd probably well i mean you aren't you supposed to be like publishing this fucking thing illegally anyway
0: Well, no, they were given permission.
1: Well right? yeah, but I mean aren't you supposed to be like fucking like you know what I mean subversive and uh and cool yeah. Yeah, and like fucking, do you know what I mean? But like, if if you if you needed permission from the man, then I guess when he asks you to close nicely, you fucking, you you jump to it.
0: That's right. The biggest melt movement in history. The poor masons of Turkey said, "Yeah, okay, we'll close," and they closed. Yeah, and did they uh,
2: did they curse the Trotskyists for making them close?
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they did, but.
2: Just really sad yeah. that no one understood social kemalism from a Marxist viewpoint. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fucking hell.
0: And, and yeah, and the characters around kadro they will probably pop up a little bit. In fact, one of them is specifically a biographer of both Ataturk and İnönü. and my parents have all of the biographies he's written, which I find very weird. Because I, fu- I see this motherfucker's name on my parents' bookcase, and I'm like, oh, that's the guy <laughs> from Hearts of Iron. Who- <laughs> like, that's the guy from Hearts of Iron who wrote a book about Isma'inonu called The Second Man, which is very insulting to the big man, I reckon. Oh, he's the second man. He's never the first man. He couldn't be, could he? But yeah, that's the story of the Turkish Communist Party in Kadro, the early Turkish Communist Party. Turkish Communist Party, brackets 1920, and Kadro. So Ben's currently crying listening to this, I hope. I hope they're <laughs> miserable listening to this, learning about this melt movement. But yeah, so you, you've all learned about the squad. And I've also received feedback about the podcast where people are saying, I've not actually learned anything about Turkey really, but it is fun. And uh, <laughs> that's because it is incomplete. You need the whole picture to understand it. Things will start making sense as we progress.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've learned, I've learned things about Turkey. Yeah, Mostly Batman it. related. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I've learned, I've learned the Batman stuff and BAP. Those are the two things I've, I've mainly taken away from this experience so far.
0: Ja- Jamie has learned what's bapping. Yeah, that's that's it. <laughs> oh my god! Well, I just, anyway, I love that,
1: that. I love that fucking logo, man.
0: <laughs> that is, <laughs> that is an incomplete telling, and admittedly, kind of a rush telling of the early Turkish Communist Party. It's a lot of purges, it's a lot of getting killed, it's a lot of making front organizations. It's all the stuff communists love to do, really, when you think about it. Yeah. So, on that note, we're going to thank David for coming along. David, are you coming along for the bonus?
2: Why not? Why not? I'm here.
0: Uh, all right. Hell yeah. Bonus time. So if you want to get the bonus, go check out the Patreon. This week's bonus, well, it will be coming out next week this this week's bonus will be on bridge thefts. So we've got a bridge to sell you, basically. Yep. <laughs> so we will catch you in the bonus if you join us for that. Goodbye, take it easy. See ya.
2: See ya. G-d-o.